Hello, and welcome to Terralex Insights Podcast, where our goal is to present multicultural perspectives by leading professionals. These perspectives on contemporary issues will help lawyers and business people work better together. I'm your host, Terry Pepper Gavlik, Terralex's Chief Business Officer. And today, coming to us from Singapore, we have the pleasure of talking with Ang Kiat Lee, the Executive Director for Network Partnerships and Strategic Marketing in the Foreign Direct Investment Advisory Team at United Overseas Bank. So welcome to the podcast today. We're so happy that you could join us. Thanks, Terry. It's a pleasure being here as well. And uh, thanks for Terralex for inviting me to be part of this. Our pleasure. So we're going to talk a lot today about the Association of Southeastern Asian Nations and some um, related issues, but I think it's always helpful for our viewers, or not really our viewers, our listeners, to know a little bit more about our guests, and no one does justice like the guests themselves. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your background and also your, your role at United Overseas Bank, I think that'll help people have some context. Great. Thanks, Terry. Yeah, let me do that. Um, actually, for the most part, I've spent most of my life with a government agency called the Singapore Economic Development Board. And there, uh, really, it was a customer-centric approach where uh, the objective was to attract investments into Singapore and create jobs for the people. But uh, without understanding what the client wants, it's always very difficult to do so. So that whole understanding of what they need in Asia from an industry and market standpoint there's always something that we've trained ourselves uh, in. And then from there, seeing where are the trends uh, and the developments and opportunities, from a, both from an industry and market standpoint, that will translate into a set of, of strategy that will move companies on to engage them uh, in order to see how they can uh, maximize the opportunities out in Asia. So really, for the most part, it was a bit of policy making, but a, a lot of comp engagement of companies as well to help them expand in Asia. Now. Prior to that, uh, we in, prior to joining the bank in Singapore Economic Development Board, it was really Singapore-centric. But uh, in about June last year, I joined the UOB, who expanded the role towards facilitating and attracting investments into the whole of ASEAN, Southeast Asia itself. And that was really interesting because then you could really look into offering a whole range of options and then off offering uh, companies different alternatives in terms of where they might want to site themselves in Asia to support their growth here. So it's a lot of cooperation going on. In fact, ASEAN, um, for any of our listeners who might be unclear, maybe tell uh, how many how many nations are, are in that association and maybe a little bit about their mission. Yeah, uh, there are about 10 countries in the association itself in ASEAN. Uh, the countries are located, if you just take your finger and run it along uh, the equator, mm -hmm. uh, down to um, around the Asia region, You'll find most of ASEAN around the equator region itself. The Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore will be right there. And then just a bit, a bit north of that would be, uh, would be Thailand, Myanmar, as well as Vietnam. And so that's the whole bunch of nations south of uh, China, Indonesia, uh, China, Japan, as well as Korea. So that, that nexus of that geographical location. It's a fairly um, geographically diverse region. If you think about it, um, the whole of Indonesia, one of the largest archipelagos, about 17,000 islands. The span of it, the width of it, is actually the, size, uh, the, the width of uh, continental USA. Mm. Uh, and the, the population size in this whole region itself is about 650 million. And so if you think about a diverse range of cultures, maybe more similar to Europe, uh, the foods and the languages, it's, it's, it's a similar uh, mix, uh, mesh, cosmopolitan nature and com composition 
of different countries in that region itself. And the way the region is mixed as well is also in terms of the degree of, of uh, development in the various countries. Um, think of about the, the common benchmark where the ease of doing business varies quite a bit. Uh, you have got Singapore at uh, rank number two by the World Bank, while you have uh, Thailand, Vietnam, and uh, Indonesia rank on the lower ranks as well. So that's why when it comes down to helping companies understand ASEAN, it's uh, really then getting down into what do you want to get done first? Where is the suitable opportunities? And then working with companies to then find out who are the best partners in order to facilitate and uh, maximize those opportunities as well. So I, I assume you're looking at all the different factors you would normally look at in economic development, tax structures and labor force and things like that to pick the right location. Very for much so. Working for. Yeah, and oftentimes we will try to understand uh, what is the company's main market? Is it more consumer oriented? Is it more cities? Or is it more industrials oriented? And then from that perspective, uh, yeah, you're looking for a location to sell into the market and then you will want distributors. But if you're looking for manufacturing, then it will be the industrial uh, partners, real estate. And of course, in all those factors, the regulations, uh, the ease of doing business, importing and exporting goods will all come into play in terms of setting up here in ASEAN. So one of the things that I know that um, we had talked about previously and that I know that you do that I think um, will be interesting to hear about is, and you mentioned it earlier, you, you take a look at the trends and then you turn those into various strategies and, um, and then they're developed and implemented throughout the region. Would you talk about some of those key trends that you're seeing in ASEAN as sort of an overall market? Sure. Yeah, it's been something that we've been talking and discussing, uh, especially since uh, COVID is, uh, I guess, has happened and the economies have really slowed down and companies are looking for new markets, new opportunities. And I think Asia as a whole still continues to provide that. And uh, out in ASEAN, uh, as I mentioned already, the population is about 650 million. The middle income population out of that 650 is expected to... Um, it's currently at about 170 million and expected to triple up to about 470 in 2030. Because ASEAN still have a lot to grow uh, out there. And due to the incidence of the pandemic, we've actually seen a significant rise in the ASEAN's internet users. So if you think about that, new channels, new ways of doing business, I think it's a whole new ball game out there, right? We've seen in the world. And last year alone, because of the need to access, I mean, new services, delivery services, and then new forms of entertainment, ASEAN added about 40 million internet users. Wow. So, and we think that, and this is makes up about then 70% of the population now online. And we think that over the next 10 years or so, and perhaps it's a conservative one, as many as about 80% uh, of the, that population will be, all be online. So you think about the middle income growth, almost tripling, and then the number of ASEAN internet users coming online as well. We think that this will present great consumer-oriented opportunities for the uh, companies. We think that COVID have accelerated the acceptance and adoption of internet services. Um, about 36% of them were new to digital services. There's a, been a survey and a report done by Bain, Tamasic, and Google. And uh, actually, for the same report indicated that this is quite lasting in terms of adoption. About 94% of the new users are expected to stay on, actually. So there's no turning back. And <laughs> that's good. When I, when I talk about then translating strategy into execution, with it, uh, ASEAN being such a mix and with the opportunities there, then how and which countries maybe do you prioritize? I mean, what services do you offer? 
And oftentimes that I'll start to discuss about uh, Indonesia, Philippines, as well as Vietnam, because the population are relatively large. The household consumption as a percentage of GDP is also relatively higher among the ASEAN countries as well. Uh, it's interesting how uh, sometimes uh, companies think about oh, going to Indonesia, firstly as an export market, because the, the cost of labor is relatively low and you can manufacture to export. But then they discover that actually Indonesia has its own charms in terms of its population size and propensity to consume. And so from there, then they shift towards an uh, internal uh, domestic consumption and actually, many have found success. There are two particular industries that uh, work really well in, uh, in Indonesia. So fashion and apparel, and oftentimes we've heard successful stories about that. The other one is uh, snacks, uh, food, consumer, beverages on the very basic end, but that's where uh, Indonesia continues to need some uh, support in. Uh, the last one perhaps is the whole area of consumer care, mm -hmm. where uh, as the affluent, the middle income comes into being, the whole understanding of their health, their nutrition, their beauty, then becomes another key factor for them to consider. Uh, but if Indonesia is a bit too complex for you because the ease of doing business uh, is relative, is, they are ranked relatively lower compared to, let's say, uh, Vietnam or uh, the Philippines, then you can always explore the other two markets. And Philippines in particular, because it's English speaking, is uh, oftentimes easy, relatively speaking, for the um, overall English-speaking world uh, that, that, that's targeting the markets out here in Asia itself. So I, I guess that's how it illustrates. Sorry, the same top industries in Philippines and Vietnam as you're seeing in Indonesia, or are there different ones? For the consumer uh, markets, B2C markets, I would say they would largely be the same. Uh, some of them in Vietnam, for example, where the income groups may be a bit higher, automotives and perhaps slightly more luxuries, the middle income uh, yeah. area of uh, automotive vehicles might come into play. But uh, then again, Indonesia has a similar trend as well. So uh, I, I would say that the aspirational desires of the consumer in ASEAN is largely similar. You do have to cater to local needs though. So as we then translate that opportunities in terms of countries and industries, we will work with companies to say, why not try firstly e-commerce? That's a good initial way to test the market. We know uh, the, at, the, at UOB, we will know some of the marketplace players uh, out in Indonesia or Vietnam, and we could link you with them. There are last mile service providers and uh, logistics service providers that could actually help you bring in the goods, store them in some time, and then use e-commerce to deliver it. Then as the volume and market grow, we would oftentimes talk, uh, talk to them to say, maybe it's time to look for a distributor. Who can be a trusted partner for you to maybe hold your inventory more, co-share your risk of going to the market and then finding channels like um, uh, pharmacies or uh, mom and pop shops or supermarkets to actually distribute your goods. And so distributors play a key role. Uh, in the, I think the third area where you're more mature, you're ready to take on your own franchise or your own brands into the market itself. I think that you can start to think about a, nowadays it's more an only channel retail strategy where you will work with traditional retail brick and mortar but then blend that with the overall uh, internet strategy in order to reach the market out in the consumer markets of Indonesia, Philippines, and Vietnam. Yeah. Does that how I explain things? Yeah. Do, do you think the retail market is going to come back full swing after the pandemic, the, the brick and mortar kind of stores, or is that being reimagined? No, I, I think it would be difficult for brick and mortar. Uh, I, 
uh, if you look at Singapore, and Singapore oftentimes because it's fairly well developed compared to the region itself, a retail space, demand for retail space has declined uh, quite a bit. Footfall has declined uh, quite a bit. And they're looking at also how office space has uh, demand has also changed. So then the way malls are distributed around office workers in order to provide amenities, all that will change quite a bit. And from that perspective, people will use e-commerce more and delivery more. And so that it will be a blend whereby retail brick and mortar uh, will, will not have its prominence as compared to the past. But I think it's still needed. And I think about brands that have emerged online and even a, a, a friend of mine who's, who has a jewelry business actually started a pop-up store out in the mall so that consumers could actually take a look, make a final decision before buying it. So I don't think it will be a, a totally go away. I think we are still social, we, we still like to see and touch it physically. And that will be a blend of an experience that will be out there. Now, in Indonesia, Vietnam, and the Philippines, I think there is still room to grow. The middle income is still rising. Not everyone has experienced fully that retail experience that we speak of. And so I think from that perspective, the retail industry might still grow. Brick and mortar might still grow. But certainly, I don't think it will be as fast as uh, in the uh, historically. And then I think companies start to need to think about a blending of an offline-online kind of an approach towards uh, business. So when you see a company identify the right place to start um, in one of the com- countries in the association, do they use that as a starting point and then move into some of the other countries? Is there a lot of cooperation among the countries? Or is it just each time you move into a different country, you're faced with different tax structures and employment issues and things like that? Um. I think oftentimes because of the uh, unique nature of the different markets, many times they will find where is the first point of entry, where would they find a good acceptance rate. So I give you an example. Uh, uh, Amazon is not totally strange in uh, Indonesia or the Philippines, for example. And so where they find that's good traction in those countries, they usually typically will start off down there, identify a distributor or someone to help bring in more products into the market itself. And then from there, they would expand into different parts of us. And that's the journey that we have, we've usually seen. Uh, I must say, though, that because of the different regulations in different countries, and uh, Ying Ying from Ter- KC Partners, part of the Terralex Network, will tell you yeah, well. On our board of directors, As- Ying Ying. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, and ASEAN has different rules and regulations. So you do have to re-look into it. And so sometimes companies will say that if they've grown sufficiently big, into a uh, in a single market you think about maybe singapore as a regional hub of sorts or kuala lumpur in malaysia or thailand and from there they started to start to work on getting a regional management and a regional team to start to think about asean as a uh, region rather than just individual countries and i think that's been the experience that we've seen companies go through whereby perhaps initial market a regional hub of sorts, and then growing and expanding to other parts uh, of ASEAN itself. Is there, a, I, I hadn't thought to ask this before, but is there a parallel association for the other parts of Asia, the northern parts of Asia, or is it all Southeast Asia? I know this association is, but is there something like it elsewhere? Um, it's interesting, but uh, RCEP, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, is actually, yep. <laughs> it's actually the first uh treaty of partnership between China, Korea, and Japan. 
And actually, ASEAN as a whole has always had separate treaties with those three countries individually, uh, bilateral between ASEAN and China, ASEAN and Japan. But RCP is actually the only one that, uh, I believe is the first one, as far as I can recall, that brings the whole region and the three northern countries together on a collective uh, international partnership agreement. So I, I think it, it holds, that that's probably where then we'll see and look into the future, how that will actually create more opportunities for companies looking to tap on Asia as a market. What, what are some of those opportunities that are coming uh, out of the implementation of RCEP? So the interesting, well, let me uh, think about, let's, let's talk about what are the RCEP uh, advantages. One, one thing that it will help is that it will really, for the first time, form uh, a, a trade block of sorts uh, that comprises 30% of the world's GDP, 30% hmm. uh, of the world's population as well, and about 27% of the world's trade. Uh, it will be the first trade uh, agreement that involves China, uh, Japan, and South Korea. It further strengthens the already substantial production networks. Uh, the treaty in itself, the partnership agreement, uh, will eliminate tariff of about 92% of the goods being traded, you would also facilitate a transition towards a single, single unified set of rules of origin. Uh, it allows for, allows for regional accumulation. And the threshold is about, about 40%. So what that means is that you can manufacture part of your goods in, let's say, uh, uh, Thailand, and then finish it up in Japan hmm. because of maybe uh, the tech nature and the sophistication of the manufacturing, and then export it to Korea or China. And that regional accumulation threshold is only about 40%. So meaning that with the whole tariff reduction and the uh, low uh, threshold for accumulation, you can really enjoy some of the tariff reductions uh, that is there. And last but not least, but also important is that uh, it's, it's going to simplify a lot of the customs procedures uh, out in Asia. Uh, it's oftentimes individual countries. We don't have a Schengen like the EU per se, but hopefully this is one of the first steps towards actually um, playing a bigger role in unifying uh, the markets and facilitating manufacturing and exports across the different markets itself. And we think that this is not only advantageous for the companies already in Asia or the Asian companies themselves or companies in the RCEP countries, but for those who want to participate in the market or in the global value chains that are in uh, Asia itself, RCEP will actually ease the flow and facilitate, I think, more of these, uh, the growth of some of these uh, value chains. Some of the industries that we think will particularly benefit because of their nexus in Asia already, uh, electrical and machinery, uh, petroleum and chemicals, uh, metals, uh, textile and apparels, and transportation equipment, about five of the sectors that we think uh, the RCEP countries uh, will actually look significantly into. Hmm, very interesting. Yeah. So other kinds of um, opportunities or issues coming out of all of this cooperation within the region that you see, what are some of those kinds of things? I think we've talked about some of them, supply chain resilience and reconfiguration and opportunities for companies. Um, any other things that I haven't asked you about that you want to mention that you think are important? Yeah, let's, let's transition a bit from, uh, since we talked about RCP, it actually facilitates uh, the business to business, the industrial side of the uh, business out in ASEAN as well. Um, many of them would think about then using RCP uh, because of the markets offered. Then ASEAN 
as a low-cost manufacturing base to manufacture and sell to RCP itself. And the, um, some of the considerations really is because of, with the lowers of, uh, of tariffs, that itself is uh, facilitated. I am actually looking through my notes in order to, to look, to think about what are the B2B opportunities down there. Um, there will really be opportunities in the sustainable city uh, areas because much of the, as much as 90 million people is going to be expected, is are expected to urbanize further, move from rural into the cities itself in ASEAN. And some of them will go to cities which are like middleweight cities between 200,000 and 2 million, uh, 2 million residents. And it's forecasted to drive about 40% of the region's growth. Uh, the second opportunity that we see is also how many of the ASEAN countries and uh, advanced manufacturing, the internet of things, is mm. actually becoming more and more prominent out there. And so for solution providers, uh, automation solution providers, robotics pro uh, providers, uh, I think there's an increased sense that ASEAN uh, plus RCP countries are all going to take off in that space as well. So we do see the likes of German companies and US companies uh, and UK companies who see that as an opportunity and are looking out for opportunities uh, to expand those services and uh, uh, deliver those services uh, in uh, ASEAN and Southeast Asia itself. And then last but not least, um, I've already mentioned about the role of the pandemic in driving companies to digitalize. And we think that there are many service uh, solutions related out in the West, out in maybe Japan or Korea, that would also look into ASEAN as a market. So I must say that uh, ASEAN as a whole is uh, slightly less developed, but those are the opportunities then for new digital companies to look into expanding into as well. So for the most part, when we think about uh, sustainable cities, uh, there is a ASEAN smart cities network that has been identified. 26 cities has been identified as key locations where the countries really want to spend a lot of time and resources to build up the uh, nature of the cities to be more sustainable in nature as well. And what we see as opportunities for companies then uh, is really, why don't we look into working with companies to identify real estate uh, or industrial real estate providers? And they know the lay of the land. They know the regulations. They probably have real estate and want to develop uh, regions uh, in order to be much more sustainable, but also differentiate their properties and improve the productivity of their properties as well. And then, so it then depends on where can you find a good partner. Uh, of, obviously, the, the, the cities, uh, the populations are focused in Indonesia at the current moment because of the larger population. But many of the other cities are just as uh, populous uh, with people as well and do render good opportunities. It really depends on that particular department in the particular city if that you're in the solutions that you're selling, be it transportation, mobility, waste management or water. I mean, how forward-looking, how open are they to new solutions? And I think those are the opportunities that we see in the sustainable uh, space. Um, if I may transition uh, a bit then to manufacturing. Uh, I mean, going back to the topic about manufacturing, when we think about markets for manufacturing, you want to think about countries that have uh, already much, uh, quite a bit of experience in manufacturing for exports. And these are typically uh, the likes of Vietnam, 
Singapore, Thailand, and Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, Vietnam has been in the news quite a bit because of its um, proximity to China and also it's uh, the quality of the labor out there. Uh, and if we think about uh, going back to RCP, manufacturing for the countries in RCP, but if you already have a manufacturing base in China, perhaps what you want to do in order to diversify and make your supply chain more resilient, we've seen companies then locate themselves in Vietnam. And because that's just south of China, you can source for some components, value add to your manufacturing activities in Vietnam, and then either you sell back to China or you sell to the rest of the world. Because Vietnam has many treaties with other countries as well. In fact, they recently signed an EU-Vietnam uh, treaty in order to export their goods. Uh, but what is less well-known uh, for companies that are manufacturing uh, is actually the nexus of Singapore, Malaysia, and Indonesia. Actually, there are fairly sophisticated supply chains, uh, manufacturing value chains already in this region itself. Um, and from there, uh, Malaysia actually is a good option for a good, almost a value for money kind of a consideration uh, because uh, the cost of labor, although it's still relatively high compared to Vietnam, but it has uh, got very strong capabilities. But if you really need lower cost labor, just south of Malaysia, uh, about one hour ferry ride from Singapore is Batam and Bintan, where the cost of labor will be even lower. And if you have labor-intensive products, really that's a location. And that whole stretch, Singapore is right in the middle between Malaysia and Indonesia itself. And if you need to leverage on R&D and uh, expertise, or you want to leverage the infrastructure, the ports and the airport, the ports and the the seaports and the airports that Singapore offers, that could be another consideration as well. So when we think about manufacturing, in ASEAN, I will typically start that conversation with saying that which industries are you looking at and try and identify where those countries are. Uh, and more often than not, it's either going to be a Vietnam option and perhaps uh, extending a bit to how Indochina may support you, or it will be this Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia nexus that we can actually talk to companies about. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I, all during the pandemic, I've, I've heard a lot about the Singapore-Malaysia nexus, and there's a travel bubble, and but I hadn't <laughs> known that Indonesia was actually as included in that as it was. So that's interesting to hear. You know, it's been interesting for me that um, the last probably four podcast episodes that I've had the opportunity to record, and they've been on very different subjects, but every single one of them raised um, things going on with sustainability. So I find Mm. that uh, a a theme going through all of the podcasts, whether it's a company, a region, a city, it's very, I think, encouraging that, you know, people are starting to move in that direction. We're seeing our law firms having to figure out, you know, how they answer their clients' needs for sustainable vendors, basically. Yes. Uh, In fact, I think because we, well, our consumers, the customers themselves are increasingly demanding sustainability solutions. The shareholders in the boardrooms are also asking about that. So we're all responding. Now, uh, it's a bit uh, more challenging, we feel, uh, in ASEAN, where the, um, quality, the, the income levels are a bit lower. But I think that's where innovation comes in. I think we need to identify what are the lower hanging fruits, what are the sustainable solutions, and use science and technology to develop solutions in Asia, perhaps for Asia itself, and drive towards more sustainable uh, cities and sustainable living. And I think that's where uh, our interest uh, lies, where as part of facilitating investments 
one of our key uh, priorities right now is to identify solutions that are really sustainable in nature that are looking for markets in Asia. And I think that that confluence of interest will help drive greater adoption, will help drive greater sustainability. Uh, in this uh, post-COVID era, I feel the public finance will be very stretched. Uh, many countries have already extended themselves in terms of um, supporting the travel and hospitality industry uh, in this pandemic. We think that with the stretched finances, that's where financial institutions like the bank itself will need to work hand in hand with private sector companies. Uh, and perhaps with international institutions like the World Bank, like the Asia Development Bank, to develop some of these sustainable solutions in the uh, countries out here in ASEAN as well. So I, I think that's really a good potential and um, great interest that we all as individuals, as corporations, that we should all continue to contribute towards the growth in. Well, everything you've talked about today is actually quite encouraging. It makes me really want to get back out into the world. <laughs> I think <laughs> all of us, we're still, we're, we're still working. I'm recording this in my house, in my room, because there's a, we're still home. But it'll be nice for business to get back to whatever the new way of doing business is. And it sounds like there's some real inroads being made in the region. Um, any other, before we go, I just wanted to um, give you a chance to talk about any other developments or impact on other parts of the world or anything that you want to wrap up with and leave our listeners with. It's been a real pleasure, Terry. It's uh, great catching up as well. So uh, I, I'll just do a few, I guess, considerations for what, what to do next if you're interested in what's great. been shared about uh, Southeast Asia, ASEAN itself. I actually have a set of slides that accompanies this podcast. So if you look for, if you feel like you want a copy of it, just email fdi at uobgroup.com and I'll be glad to email it to you. We'll but put we that do in have the liner notes for the podcast. I'll get that from you later, but we'll put that in and uh, Thanks, Terry. access it that way. And then if I may then ask you to put in a website. Uh, we have our own UOB ASEAN Insights website. So it kinds of up refreshes uh, on a from time to time with new articles of what companies are doing in ASEAN itself. And uh, that's some uh, low touch approach for you to uh, kind of keep in touch. And then uh, last but not least, I would say, always say uh, the Terralex, I mean, I assume that a lot of the listeners are Terralex people. Being uh, <laughs> on your board, we'll definitely be very happy to help you and support you. But otherwise, uh, go through her and then reach out to me in order to help you on your ASEAN journey. Fantastic. Yeah, Ying Ying's been really helpful to a lot of our members from all over the world, and they've all been connecting. So, and, and as well, many of our other members in that region. So, we thank you so much. We've been talking to our friend Ying Kiat Lee from uh, the United Overseas Bank. And I have to say, it sounds like you really love your job and your work and, and uh, presenting <laughs> these opportunities. It's really refreshing. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Terry. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.